0: All right, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Very good. All right, well, let's uh, open in prayer today. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for a great revelation that you have given to us um, that we take for granted so often. But Lord, you have shown us um, not only... uh, truths about you, but also just even in your son, that we have seen your son and that we know you because we know your son. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to know the revelation that you have given to us, um, that uh, it would be a sure hope for us as we suffer in this life and that we would look uh, for the the time to the day to come uh, and walk in your ways during that time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we've been working through uh, First Peter, and the theme of First Peter, of course, is suffering, trusting, and doing what is right. I took that from the um, f- chapter 4, verse 19, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so the apostle Peter is writing to those who are suffering. In this section, what he's going to do then, that's kind of, that underlies. We have to remember that that's who he's writing to, those who are suffering. They're under a great trial and tribulation. Um, We saw last time that he emphasized to them that they had a living hope, right? That living hope is that they're born again by the will of God, by the will of the Father, born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that they have. But right now, that hasn't been revealed yet because they are suffering so that their faith would be tested, that it would be tried, that it would be purified, because the outcome of that would be their salvation. The outcome of that tested faith would be salvation. And so this time, what we're going to to do, he's going to focus more on what it means uh, to, um, to trust, what trusting and doing what is right looks like in the face of suffering So we're going to, this week, look at verses uh, 10 through 21 uh, with the key to fix our hope on a grace to be revealed. So he's going to talk more about this salvation, this salvation which is um, that we obtain by the outcome of our tested faith. So 1 Peter uh, 1, 10 through 21. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you Made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the, lamb of the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. So before we get into this passage, we have to think a little bit about um, God's redemptive plan. So in God's redemptive plan, of course, it's an eternal plan. And the apostle Peter outlines this in three stages. And you'll see this. We have already talked about it uh, in the first two weeks. Also now in this week. He outlines this in three stages. And these three stages work together together. Um, first of all, that the Christ was foreknown by God. Before the foundation of the world, it was God's intent and plan that Christ would uh, come as a savior for the world. So that was before all time. He was foreknown by God. Now, something else important happens. Right now, he has appeared. Okay, So at his appearing, what has happened is that we know him, we know who he is because he is Jesus Christ, He's a Nazarene, he lived a life, he was crucified, he was raised again. So in this time, when he talks about the appearing of Christ, that's what he's talking about, but then there's still something yet to come, that Christ will be revealed. Okay, so this idea of revelation, this is the Greek word for that, is where we get our word apocalypse. So you know, from popular culture, of course, when you think of apocalypse, what do you think of? It's like, oh, that sounds like a great movie title, right? If it has apocalypse in it, that must be awesome. But that's not what it means. What apocalypse means is it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because although he has appeared now, he has not yet been revealed. Does that make sense? In what way has he not yet been revealed? as the king as a glory in his glorious state he has not yet been revealed right now he has appeared as one who has suffered and been vindicated but he has not yet been revealed as in his glorious state where he will set all things right so this this is the this is the framework that you'll constantly see in 1 Peter that he's setting things out in this period and this salvation that, that he's teaching us about now, he's gonna step back and talk about what we know about this salvation because there is a grace that has now been announced. In the, in the current time, when the apostle Peter is writing, it has now been announced, but it wasn't always that way. Right, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. So the Old Testament teaches what from this passage we know that it teaches the grace of Christ, right because they were they were seeking to Carefully understand what they were prophesying. What they were prophesying was the grace of the salvation. Okay, so concerning the salvation, there is a grace. And they knew that there was a grace that was to be revealed. And from this passage, what did they know about that grace to be revealed? Yes, they knew that that Christ would suffer. And a second thing, and then they would be followed by glory, right? That was known from the Old Testament. And in fact, this is what Jesus taught directly, right? Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he taught this directly. When he was walking with the disciples, uh, two disciples, he said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scripture. So the Old Testament teaches this truth that there is a grace, the grace that is in Christ and that the Christ must suffer and that the Christ will be glorified. And yet at the same time, this, this is the foreknowledge of God, right? We know that this is, Christ was foreknown because he, he, the prophets speak on behalf of God and so the prophets prophesy these things. And so they, in the Old Testament, they lived within this period of the foreknowledge of God. But he had not yet been revealed. So now what the Apostle Peter does in this section is to use this section as a, as a goad, as, you know, what a goad, you know, push you along, to, to hit you along, to push you to understand what this is that has been revealed because now something has been revealed to us and how important this is and how amazing this grace is. He's gonna draw, there are three things, three ways he's going to tell us that this is an amazing thing that has been revealed to us. First of all, it was not revealed to the prophets even though they made careful searches and inquiries. The Lord loved his prophets, right? There's no doubt that he loved his prophets. And yet, he did not give them the benefit of knowing, of understanding in the fullest measure what they were speaking. They were only speaking forth the word of the foreknowledge of God, of the Christ, but they did not understand the time or the person. They didn't know these things yet. And so what did they do? As those who believed in God, what did they do? They had a deep, deep desire to know. So what did they do? If you want to know something, what do you do? Careful searches. Careful searches and inquiries. They're asking. They're asking the Lord. They're searching. They're trying to figure this out from the other writings of the prophets. They're trying to inquire of God, tell, tell me. But what did the Lord do? Did the Lord answer them? He didn't tell them what, he didn't give them the, the message that they wanted to hear, but what did he reveal to them? Yes, that they were servants. You are my servants and you are serving those who are to come. Was that just of God to do that? I mean, man, these servants, these prophets, they went through all sorts of stuff. You know, they were killed left and right and yet the Lord didn't even give them the benefit of understanding who this Christ was in the time. I mean, is that, is that fair? It certainly is because who were they? servants. They were servants, right? And it's the same for us. I mean, are we any different than the prophets? I mean, we're the servants of the Lord as well. And how many times do you want you, with careful inquiries and searches, appeal to the Lord and go to him and ask him why, why? But it's revealed to you that you're a servant, right? And you're serving others. So many of the things that we don't understand right now are because they're not for us, the things that we go through in our lives, the sufferings that we have right now are not for us, they're for others. And so we are as humble servants to use the prophets as a model for us. But that's not the point directly, that's just an indirect point, right? The the direct point of this is what? If, if If they made careful inquiries and searches and yet it was not revealed to them, but it was only revealed to them that they were benefiting us, what does that mean for us? Well, how much more should we, be, uh, should we know about this amazing grace that God has given? How much more should we, who have the privileges, continue to seek and find that? But not only that, another strong argument for this amazing grace is that it has come to us now how? It's come through the apostles through what means? from the Holy Spirit come from heaven, right? This message, this message of grace, not only was it withheld from the prophets who eagerly sought it, who knew its value, but it has come to us from the Holy Spirit himself sent from heaven. He's the one who's delivered this message. I mean, what other messenger can you have than the Holy Spirit? I mean, this message must be one of incredible value. And not only that, But who else longs to look into this? Even the angels long to look into this. It's this idea, this this word is almost like they're bending down to search out what, what is this grace? And all of these things together give us, again, Peter's strong argument for why we need to value the privilege of the knowledge of grace. So do you value the knowledge that you've been given or is this just something you take for granted? You know, is this something that? Well, sure. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Whatever. Uh, you know, I, I know the facts. I learned in Sunday school about Jesus. You know, no, that's not the Apostle Peter's point here. The point is that this is an amazing grace that has been given to us. That we don't have to live in just the foreknowledge of God looking forward in shadows, but that we have announced to us now the Christ has appeared, and if the Christ has appeared. That must do something for us. There must be something that comes out of that. There must be some way that we are changed. And it starts actually with our minds. It starts with our minds. Because if therefore, again, looking at how incredible this message is, if angels long to look into it, if the Holy Spirit himself has delivered it to us, if the prophets searched eagerly for it. Therefore, what should we do? We must fix our hope completely on this grace to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to fix our hope completely on that grace. That grace that has been given to us, if we value it, we are going to fix our hope completely on it. Now, what does that mean to fix your hope completely on it? Now, we're looking, again, here in this point, he's talking um, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the hope, the ultimate uh, fruition of this hope for those who suffer now, he's speaking to us and those who suffer now, we have a hope, that future hope is that we will have salvation. Uh, We know in the Bible that there are three different ways that salvation is talked about, that we have been saved, right so that's true that anyone who is in Christ has been saved that also sometimes talk about uh, talks about us being saved like we're in the process of salvation moving along right now and then it also talks about a future salvation and that's really what he's referring to here um, that there is a future salvation and that this grace if we fix our minds on this that we're looking toward the hope that we have of deliverance and deliverance from this suffering into the revelation, into the um, the the, um, the uh, inheritance of God that He has given to us. So, if we're going to fix that's that is what our minds are the first thing that has to be changed. And this revelation is going to help us to do that to fix our minds. Now, He gives us a couple of pictures about how we fix our minds. One of them, He says, is um, preparing your minds for action. Now, I, I like the, uh, the literal translation of this a lot better, right? Because they, they took it out because it doesn't mean quite as much to us now, but it's, it, he says, uh, gird up the loins of your minds. Gird up the loins of your minds. Now, that's kind of weird, right? That's why you don't want to write that in there, but what, what does that mean? Well, you have to understand, they would have understood this, right? Because all the, the people at that time would have worn really long robes, right? And so in, in these long robes, if you're going to do anything, you're going to gird up your loins. That means that you're going to basically wrap, up this, wrap it up to, so that your legs, so that you can do things. Particularly when you think biblically, what are, what are the times where, you, uh, where somebody would gird up their loins or be prepared for action? In battle, right? So in a warfare, you gird up your loins so that you're ready to fight. You don't want to fight in robes, Right? That's not really a great way to fight. What's another time that you gird up your loins? When you travel, yeah, so in, in traveling. So anytime you're on a journey, you gird up your loins. Anytime you're in warfare, you gird up the loins of your, um, of your mind. So to gird up the loins of your mind is to prepare in this way where you get ready to do something. I have a, <laughs> this is my favorite story of foster care training. Foster care training, I have to tell you, is probably the most mind numbing thing that you can possibly undergo, but if you sit there for hours and hours, every once in a while there's something really useful and uh, the the trainer that we had uh, he he was really a great trainer i shouldn 't badmouth him he was a great trainer, he would talk about a lot of things uh, that would be helpful but Finally, he got to ultimately what is really helpful. And he said, he was a very soft-spoken guy. And he said, you know, if you think you want to deal with these kinds of kids, then as soon as you get that call, you better buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) And it's (laughs) it's like, (laughs) but that's exactly what this is, right? That's exactly what this is. You better buckle up. Because guess what's coming, right? You better gird up the loins of your mind. This is what it means to set your heart, to set your mind to fix your hope is to gird up the loins of your mind so that you're ready. And not only that, but that you keep sober. Um, it's it's not simply that uh, we prepare for this journey, but that we are self-controlled in our minds, that we're not turned this way and that way by the things of the world, whether they're things, of course not things that are evil, but even things that are just distractions, the enjoyments of this world, and the things that go into, into just our daily enjoyments, that's so easy to pull us away from the hope, because if your mind is fixed on the hope then you can't be looking at all the other things that can distract you, but instead you're sober-minded and you've set your mind with preparation for this. So if, so, number one, if we have this hope, this amazing hope, uh, and we value it, we're gonna fix our minds on that hope. But number two, what we're going to do is, um, oops, here. Here, I got it backwards, all right. Number two, what we're going to do is we're going to, if we value this grace, we're gonna work to understand the grace that we have because we have an amazing grace and we might understand, well, we're always gonna be able to understand it to a greater degree, right? That's what the, these, the, uh, holy apostles through the prophets were speaking forth this so that we can, to a greater degree, understand this grace that has been given to us. So what, what is this that we know as we prepare our minds? Well, we know that we are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life inherited from our, your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the lamb of Christ, we're ransomed from a feudal way of life inherited from our fathers. You know, sometimes people will say we just—you know—at this at your church you just focus too much on, on fatherhood, right? You'll get that, but there you cannot focus too much on fatherhood. This this passage again teaches us how invo- in, important the ideas, the spiritual truth of fatherhood is. This is the spiritual truth of fatherhood. You inherit your way of life from your father, period. That is a spiritual truth that you cannot escape. You inherit your way of life from your father. Now, in this passage, what he's doing is contrasting this. You have been redeemed, right? You have been brought out. There are two ways of life. There are two ways of life, and the redemption or the ransom is the pulling out of one into the other. What's the description of the old one? The old one was a feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers. It was a corruptible and perishable way of life, right? But We don't have to, we aren't that anymore because we have been redeemed and he taught us in the previous passage what we have been redeemed into. We've been redeemed because we have been born again to a father that we now have a different inheritance, right? The inheritance from last time that we talked about is contrasted directly to this inheritance. You've been redeemed from the feudal inheritance that you received from your forefathers. And now you have been brought into, through being born again, into a life uh, of inheritance of your new father. Now we have an inheritance. You know, we all, many have a testimony of the redemption that we have from a feudal way of life from our fathers. You know, some more than others. But when you look at your, at your father, no matter where on the scale, right, he could have been a very terrible man. He could have been godly. But ultimately, what do we know about the way of life that you inherited from him? It was futile. Because what? It, it comes to an end. The most that you can ever get out of it is to hope to kind of make it through that's, that's the end. That's, it's a futile. It, it's an, it has an emptiness to it. Right? Think about the testimony of your own life and give that testimony. Give that testimony to each other because it's extremely encouraging when you can testify to the futility of the way that you inherited from your father and now have a, whole com, a complete inheritance. But not only that, not only is this truth that we have to keep in mind that we were ransomed from the futility that we inherited into a true inheritance, into an imperishable inheritance, but that we were ransomed with precious blood. And this is now what has been revealed to us that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. They knew that the Christ must suffer and that he would enter his glory. But what do we know now? Now we know that Jesus Christ, by his precious blood, like a spotless lamb has ransomed us, that he made a sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what saves our souls. We had no ability to be born again of ourselves. There was no escape from the futility of our way of life that we inherited from our fathers. We couldn't get out of that. But through a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, one that was imperishable, one that was not like gold and other things that just die with this world, but one that was totally imperishable, was through that sacrifice, God looks upon us in forgiveness and transfers us. We're born again, transferred into a new life through that precious blood. And not only that, but what else do we understand that's been revealed to us? It's that not only did Christ die for us, He was foreknown, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but now he's appeared. And so now what do we know? Well, we know that we are through him believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. We've seen Jesus Christ's life. We know of Jesus Christ's life because it's been given to us. And so it's through him that we believe in God. And it's through, the seeing, through seeing all of his sufferings and everything that he went through and everything that, that, was, um, that was done to him and seeing, though, that God vindicated him. He would not allow him to see decay. But instead, he gave him glory. And so because we know Jesus, it is through Jesus that we have both faith and hope. Jesus Christ himself, who has appeared to us, So this life that he has given is not only a sacrifice, but it's also, he is the basis of our hope and faith. We don't have faith and hope outside of him. He's not only the author of our salvation, but he's the means of the faith by which we grab a hold of that, and he is the hope that we hope for. Everything about Jesus Christ and his revelation to us is our salvation, and so we need to work to understand it. So if he has revealed himself, to us, first we need to fix our hope completely on it, and then we need to understand it, growing deeper and deeper. We always need to grow deeper in our understanding of who he is. Because what that will do is that will actually impact what we're like. You know, it is the work of the mind, it is the first, the the transformation of the mind that God uses that we bring, he brings about that we will be conformed to him. So our actions come out of understanding grace. And what is this grace? We just said that the grace is what? That we had an inheritance from our fathers, just an inheritance of death. But now we were we were children of our fathers, but now who are we? We are children of God. We've been born again as children of God. And if that's true, then that is the basis of our action. Remember what Jesus taught. He said, he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are converted and become like children. And now the apostle Peter has further revealed, what what does that mean? You know, that's that's kind of a nice picture Jesus gave. But what does this mean? Well, what this means is that we have to be converted to become like children to enter into the kingdom. And this is the command. Now, this is all that God has revealed to us. Now, in this revelation, we actually are able to do what he's called. Because now, thinking of ourselves, what? As obedient children of the Father. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the holy one who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Okay, again, this is a very direct comparison. Um, That you were inherit that you inherited a feudal way of life. Now, this word is this word that's translated behavior, right here, is actually the exact same word, way of life. Okay, so if you look at what he's saying here, is you inherited a feudal way of life. From your forefathers, but now be holy yourself in all your way of life, like the Holy One who has called you, like your father, the Holy One. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And this is, this can be, you know, if you don't understand the the truths of this, this is just something that leads to despair, right? How many of you, when you hear, um, be holy as I am holy, because it's written. Think, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I'm just going to be holy now, right? That's not that's not something that's going to ever give you any kind of encouragement to actually be holy, right? That is something that just leads to despair. And why is that? It's because you're thinking about your own self, right? Uh, my ability. I don't have any ability to be holy, but I do. What ability do you have to be holy? Do you have the ability to be holy? Yes, you do. Because what? Yeah, you have been born again, right? That is the key. You have been born again. You inherited a feudal way of life from your forefathers, but now as children, as obedient children, As obedient children of a heavenly father, be holy as I am holy. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God commands that we be separate. In fact, we have to be separate because there is an eternal chasm in between what we were and what we now are in Christ right? The, the blessing that he has given us in himself that we would be born again is that we have been adopted by a father and therefore have a whole new way of life, right? That's, this is, these are the truths. These are the truths. Fixing your mind on this grace will allow you to do these things, now at the same time though, what, what you don't want to do, there is kind of a movement in a lot of churches that, are, that just basically says, okay, yeah, sanctification or this like transformation, it's all about you know, just having faith and, and like if you know these things, then boom, like somehow you'll just, just be sanctified, right? But that's not what he teaches here. It is absolutely true that you will not be sanctified if you do not understand the truth. And the truth is you're born again to a holy father And the way of life is inherited from the father. That's absolutely true. You have to know that. But that doesn't give you the ability to just be presumptuous. Sure, I call him my father. He's my father, so I'm holy. That's That's not true, right? What does the apostle Peter follow this up with? And if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear, during the time of your stay on earth because here's another truth you must fear your father everyone has to fear their father right so you either live in fear all of your life because your father is the devil right that's that is a life you fear your father the devil all of all of your works that are that come out of him the corruptible the wickedness all of these things will lead you to fear your father or what you'll fear your father your holy father and you will fear your holy father why because he is holy he is set apart and he judges impartially he sees the heart But he judges according to the works, the fruit of your heart. And what is the fruit of your heart? It's the works, it's your deeds. He judges according to the deeds of your heart. And why should we fear him? Well, what is this passage, what does it follow with? If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, you know, if, if God would have paid a lot of money for your salvation, maybe you should fear him, because what? Well, he'd make you pay it back, right? That's, we all fear our debtors, or our, our creditor, right? We all fear the bank. They own our house, whatever it is. But that's not what happened. How were you bought? With precious blood. You are bought with precious, precious blood. In fact, the precious blood of his son. And what does the father think of his son? The father loves his son. So all those who are born again into this living hope, into the inheritance, share in the inheritance of the son and we live as sons. We live as sons in obedience. We put off the former lusts that were part of that other life, but now we have been adopted. Now we have a new life. We are holy for God is holy. Our Father is holy. And we fear because if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What is gonna be higher for that sacrifice than the blood of Jesus Christ, his only son? Is there anything else? There is nothing else. There is nothing else. Nothing, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which he has sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who says vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Not those outside. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's the blood of Christ, right? And the blood of Christ is not only what drives us through fear away from these former things that have corrupted, but the blood of Christ has transformed us into the image of his son. Today, what is that a is that an important message? I mean, is it something that you should look into? That's something you should look into. It's been revealed. It's been revealed by God. Angels want to know it. It's been revealed to you. The prophets wanted to know it. They didn't get a chance, but it's been revealed to you. It's been revealed to you from the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. And this is a message that of grace that commands, it demands something, it demands that we fix our eyes on the hope set before us, gird up our loins and push through because we're suffering now, but we have knowledge of a Christ who though he suffered is glorified. So our faith and our hope is in him and we will live as children of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your son has done uh, amazing things. Father, we thank you that though you foreknew him uh, from the foundation of the world, that you in these last days for us, for our sake, have shown who he is so that by faith we would be able to grab hold of the hope that we have, the hope that we no longer have to be conformed to um, to the wicked ways of life of our fathers, to the wicked way of life of Adam anymore. But Father... We thank you that through Christ, through his sacrifice, through his death, you have given us life eternal. You have given us an inheritance. You have given us your own self as a father so that we would walk in your ways. And we pray, Lord, that this week you would help us in mind and action to be your children. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.